You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 113, Apple Computers. Hello, and welcome to episode 113 of You Don't Know Flack. Uh start out every podcast nowadays with an apology for how long it's been since the last episode, so let's just uh, get that out of the way. It's been a long time since the last episode, and this is the current episode. Uh, episode 102 of You Don't Know Flack was inspired by the death of Gary Gygax, the founder of Dungeons & Dragons, and so similarly, this episode, 113, is inspired by the death of Steve Jobs. As most of you know, Steve Jobs was one of the founders of Apple Computers, and so on episode 113, I'm going to be talking about my experiences with uh, Apple Computers. Now, before I get started, I always have a few uh, housekeeping tasks that I like to get out of the way. Uh, Just kind of a little rundown of what I've been up to lately. Um, I've been doing some writing lately. I just finished a couple of articles for Video Game Trader magazine. You can check out their website at videogametrader.com. Uh, you can find their magazine at, well, you used to be able to find it at Blockbuster, I believe, but uh, my local Blockbuster is closed down, so I'm not sure where you can find it now. But you can get it straight from videogametrader.com, so uh, check out their site. I also just finished a couple of articles for the Digital Press e-zine. Uh, issue 71 just shipped, and 72 we're working on right now, so you can always check out digitpress.com. It's D-I-G-I-T press.com. For digital press and um, I've also started writing for the retroist which is a really really cool retro website um, the articles for the retroist aren't really in depth per se um, so it's a little different than a lot of the things I write most of them are um, like pictures or memories and uh, you know little blurbs that are just a paragraph or two but uh, they have a lot of posts every day and a lot of cool traffic and a lot of different writers so you can kind of get um, different perspectives uh, on uh, retro things a lot of uh, um, 80s 70s uh, even some stuff from the 50s and 60s so check out the retroist which is at retroist.com and the retroist also has a really good uh, podcast. It's one of the podcasts that kind of inspired me to uh, start with my own podcast. So um, definitely check out the Retroist podcast as well. Um, the big news for me over the last several weeks is that um, we have moved. Uh, we just put our old house on the market last week and we have moved into a new house. It's in the same general area as our old house. We're about 15 minutes away from the old house, um, but we found a a newer house that's a a lot bigger. It's got a lot more room, and um, so I have my computer set up in the new house and TVs and beds, but not a lot more than that. So um, we're still trying to find things like uh, silverware and pots and pans and um, our clothes, and I have a large storage unit full of boxes and full of most of my possessions. 
that haven't made it to the new house yet. So we're kind of in between houses right now, but, um, you know, with the computer hooked up. Oh, also, I just recently got a new microphone, which I'm using. This is the first time to use it for the podcast. Um, to record before, you know, I've had a lot of compliments on the quality of some of the old podcasts, some of my previous podcasts, and, um, uh, you know, I was using uh, professional studio-quality microphones hooked up to uh, a Behringer mixing board, and, you know, it was really kind of overkill equipment-wise for a podcast, so I just uh, recently purchased a uh, Yeti microphone. It's a USB mic made by Blue. They're pretty good quality. Uh, they run around $100, a little bit under $100. I got mine off of Tiger Direct, but it's USB. So I was able to get rid of a lot of hardware and replace it with one uh, single mic. And the quality is, is comparable. I'm, I kind of get a weird echo in this room. I think it's, I'm, I'm facing a wall, and I think it's kind of echoing off that wall a little bit. So may have to uh, try to tweak the settings a little bit. Maybe uh, we'll see how it goes. Episode 113 was supposed to be about text adventures, and um, I actually did an interview with Rob Sherwin, who wrote and released Crypto Zookeeper, a new interactive fiction game that's really good. And um, to give you an idea of how long it's been since I messed with this stuff, I did a Skype interview with Rob about the upcoming release of his game, and his game has been out now for several months so um, I actually still have the interview that we did on, on the hard drive. It's on a computer that's not hooked up right now. So uh, hopefully I can get that machine online pretty soon and, and pull those files off and get that. Maybe that'll be one of the next uh, upcoming podcasts. But um, uh, in the meantime, uh, you want to go check out Crypto Zookeeper. That's all one word, Crypto, C-R-Y-P-T-O, and then Zookeeper, all one word. Just punch that into Google, and you can find out some articles about the game, the review. It's available free for download, or Rob also on his website has it for sale. Um, It's a a two-disc set, which is a really, really cool thing. So um, uh, go check that out. And uh, I think that's about all the, the housekeeping issues I have. So let's go ahead and get started with episode 113, My Experiences with Apple Computers. In the spring of 1980, my dad purchased a TRS-80 Model 3 computer, uh, which was pretty cutting edge at the time. And it seemed like for a couple of years, Tandy and Radio Shack were really going to dominate the home computer market. Uh, The Apple II had been released, and the Apple II Plus had been released around that same time. But, um, uh, you know, when most people thought about home computers, they thought about Radio Shack um, and... uh, and Tandy computers. So it really seemed like they had the market cornered for home computers. But but only a couple of years after that, they really kind of lost the market. Um, and part of that, I think, uh, was Apple and Apple's push to get Apple computers into schools. Um, I remember by, uh, oh, third grade for sure for me, so 1982, 1983, we had Apple computers uh, starting to show up in our school. And, I, of course, I was uh, uh, at a great advantage at that time because, uh, you know, I'd had computers at home. So a lot of the teachers weren't familiar with computers, but, um, you know, I, I was able to, to help them out and, and do different things. So I, I kind of became that uh, kid that could help, you know, teachers out with computers and do stuff like that. 
Now, the uh, TRS-80 Model 3 that we owned, of course, it wasn't color. It was just monochrome, uh, black and white screen, and it didn't have floppy disk drives. So everything that we did back then uh, was on cassette tape. All the programs that we had, you had to load from cassette, or you could save on a cassette. And uh, dual floppy drives for the TRS-80 Model 3 was a $1,000 option. And um, so around 1982... Um, my dad started checking into buying floppy drives for the TRS-80 and found that for the same price that you could get those floppy drives, he could get um, an Apple II. And actually, what we ended up getting was uh, an Apple II clone called the Franklin Ace 1000. Uh, now, you could probably do an entire podcast about um, Franklin and their line of computers because it's kind of an interesting story, but... Um, Franklin Ace released several Apple clone computers. The first one was the Franklin Ace 100, which was a clone of the Apple II, and then they had a Franklin Ace 1000, uh, which is the one that we had, which is listed as a clone of the Apple II Plus. And then they had a Franklin Ace 1200, which was same as the 1000, um, but it had internal floppy drives. And um, anyway, what was interesting about these is that... Um, now, when you think about clone hardware, you know, you think about people reverse engineering, uh, you know, maybe BIOSes or, uh, you know, the internal mechanisms of a computer or something. But uh, uh, what Franklin did was they just dumped the Apple ROMs and reburned their own. So you could actually go into the, uh, the ROMs and dump the ROMs out of the Franklin Ace series of computers, and you could find the names of Apple programmers in there. Um, and so... Apple sued Franklin Ace, um, but they lost. Franklin Ace actually won the lawsuit, uh, and so they were able to continue making the computers. But eventually, uh, Apple appealed that judgment, and Apple won uh, in 1988. So uh, uh, that's when uh, Franklin Ace had to stop making their Apple-compatible uh, clones. But they... They released several other ones. There was a Franklin Ace 2000, which was an Apple IIe clone, and then the Franklin Ace 500, which was an Apple IIc clone. And then there was actually a Franklin Ace 2200, which was a 2C, but it also had a detachable keyboard, and it came with dual floppy drives. So um, a lot of people actually thought that the Franklin Ace hardware was uh, more innovative than Apple's. But um, uh, So anyway, back when we owned our TRS-80, uh, we got software from one of two places. We either um, bought them on cassette tape from Radio Shack, or we would type them in uh, for magazines. I don't if you're not old enough to remember, magazines would actually publish basic programs, the code, and then you would just type them in uh, manually into your computer and then save them on a cassette. Hopefully, um, so when we sold the TRS-80 and went to the Apple, uh, or you know our Franklin Ace 1000, but I'm you know, for the sake of the podcast, I'm just going to say Apple. Um, with our Apple, the world grew immediately because we had two disk drives. So first of all, you could buy software in a lot of different places. Um, in my town, basically the only place that you could buy Radio Shack software or uh, Tandy software was Radio Shack. But with the Apple, you know, there were computer stores around town, computer stores in the mall, you know. So there were a lot of places like that to get software from. Uh, there were also BBSs, and um, I know there were TRS-80 um, 
and Tandy based BBSs, but we didn't have a modem for our TRS-80, but uh, we did for the Apple. So once we started getting onto BBSs, you know, you could download software. Uh, and then there were trading disks with other people, which was something that um, I don't really know uh, if there was a big cassette piracy scene <laughs> of people dubbing cassettes. I, I suppose you could, you know. I would think that um, the loss of quality, uh, you know, generations would be uh, very important. I don't think, you know, because you're dealing with um, an analog signal, so I wouldn't think a, a copy of a copy of a copy would um, uh, work very well. But uh, with discs, you know, being being digital, you could just make copies and it wasn't any big deal. So um, uh, another difference uh, between our Apple and the TRS-80 was our Apple had a joystick. And, um, you know, that opened up a whole new world of game playing. Now, of course, we played, there were games on the TRS-80, but the graphics, you know, were very crude. Um, but with the uh, Apple, all of a sudden you have... Um, you know, arcade games that are being ported over to the home computer. And, we ha and you know, now you have this joystick. And Apple joysticks, unlike uh, Commodore and some of the other ones that we had, had two different buttons. So um, uh, there were several games where, like, Load Runner is one, where uh, on an Apple with a joystick with two buttons, each button uh, in Load Runner you would run around on a... Uh, you know, it's a platform-type game uh, where you dig holes to trap your enemies. And on the Apple, since it had two buttons, you could dig to the left or dig to the right. So, like, when you play the game on a Commodore, um, the Commodore joystick only supports one button. So you only can dig the direction you're facing. So on the Apple, like, one technique you would use would be to run away from uh, the Predators and... Um, you know, dig behind you, leaving these trenches. But that was much more difficult on a Commodore with one button. Uh, same thing with uh, uh, Choplifter is another game that comes to mind where uh, you would fly a helicopter around and one button would uh, spin your ship around while the other one would shoot. Well, uh, you know, on other systems it only had one button. You had to find different ways uh, to do that. Uh, Karatika is another one. Karatika was uh, uh, very good and early. Uh, it was by the same guy that did Prince of Persia. Um, but the two buttons on the Apple, one button punched and uh, the bottom button kicked. Where on other systems, you know, that only had a single button, weren't able to do that. So um, I kind of wrote a list down here just of uh, some of the different programs, some of the different games I remember playing. Archon was a big game for me. Uh, if you've never played it, Archon is a, uh, well, boy, you could, you could do an entire podcast about Archon also, but, um, uh, it's basically like chess, except for, um, when you land on a square of your opponent, you don't automatically take that piece. You have to fight them for it. Uh, so, uh, and Archon was available for many systems over the years, but, uh, the Apple's the first place I saw that. Uh, little Computer People. That was another Apple program uh, or that I originally saw on the Apple. Um, little Computer People was, of course, the uh, Activision program where that simulated, it turned your computer into a house and you had a little um, virtual person who walked around the house and lived inside your computer. Um, my, the per the uh, names were randomly generated 
and supposedly no no two are exactly the same the combination of of colors of your character and your person's name but um my guy's name was Ogden and uh, <laughs> so anyway I it's amazing how much time back then you know computer programs uh were so new and so amazing back then that um you know now you would you couldn't you know it wouldn't seem very interesting to just watch this person walk around inside your computer back that back then um you know it seemed pretty cool now one thing i talked a little bit about was uh the arcade translations and in the early days um there were a lot of releases that weren't uh licensed like there were uh you know lots of uh, battle zone and uh robotron knockoffs um pac-man uh, one of the clones, one of the more infamous stories during that time was the release of a Taxman in 1981 for the Apple II. Um, so Taxman was, you know, a Pac-Man type clone with some little minor details changed. Uh, they changed the ghosts into um, little insects and bugs and things like that. And the, the bonus items were changed. But, um, you know, when Atari found out about it, they basically threatened to sue uh, the people who had written Taxman. So after Atari uh, threatened them with a lawsuit, um, the uh, writers of Taxman had to submit their code to Atari. And basically what happened was Atari made, you know, changed the graphics back into Pac-Man and that became the official Pac-Man release for the Apple II. So um, like I said, there were a lot of... Uh, uh, unlicensed games uh, that were, you know, being released just by uh, homebrew programmers, you know, at that time. Um, let's see. Some of the other games I wrote down here. Uh, Swashbuckler was a big game. It was uh, before Defender of the Crown, and it was kind of like the, the sword fighting part of Defender of the Crown. If you um, look it up, there's uh, some YouTube videos of, of Swashbuckler, and it's not very advanced. You just had... Um, uh, you know, it's two-dimensional, and you had people coming from each side, and you, and you basically stabbed them with a sword over and over. Um, so, not very advanced. But um, uh, an Aztec is another one where you would go, uh, you know, it was this Indiana Jones-type game, and you'd go on these adventures. And um, uh, Below the Root was another Apple game that I played a lot of. Below the Root was... Um, obviously not graphically as advanced or whatever, but um, the best, it was almost like um, that open sandbox type game like, uh, you know, you think of Grand Theft Auto now where you can go anywhere and talk to people and do things or whatever. There weren't as many prostitutes in uh, Below the Root. But, um, uh, you know, there was actually a point to Below the Root and I played that game for years and I never knew what the point was or the goal uh, or the object or anything. I just wandered around and, and talked to people and explored, uh, you know, the, the trees and, and this area. So, um, I also, during, uh, my time with the apples, when I first experienced, uh, role-playing games, uh, there was, uh, wizardry was a big one and, uh, Ultima also. So, um, you know, those type of adventures, I don't play a lot of role-playing games these days. I just don't have the time really to do it, but, uh, um, you know, during that time, you have the explosion of arcades and arcade games and computers, home computers did not have the same 
graphical graphic um, capabilities of arcade machines, you know. But what 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 they did have was, uh, you know, arcade games were set to basically have you play and then kill you off within you know thirty seconds to a minute or whatever. Um, so home computers could give a different experience. And one of the things that they could do differently were these role-playing games, games like Ultima and Wizardry, where you would play for hours or weeks on end, you know. And, and um, so that was something arcade machines couldn't do. There were also a lot of applications um, that I remember playing with for the Apple. Um, there was um, Blazing Paddles, which was an early art-type program. You know, we also had a Koala Pad, which was a... Um, basically a drawing tablet. I had one later for the Commodore as well, but, um, uh, you know, it seemed pretty amazing at the time. I would uh, take pictures from magazines and try to to put them on the touchpad and then trace over them lightly, you know, or um, I remember having these uh, stickers of, like, ninjas, and I would (laughs) put them on the koala pad and try to trace around the outside lines of them and then color them in in the art program, you know, so uh, the koala pad. There was another... um, animation application called Fantavision, which uh, you don't see a lot of people talking about. I don't, you know, I haven't checked YouTube. I don't know if there's videos out there. I'm sure there are for Fantavision, but um, uh, Fantavision was a cool animation program that did what it called tweening, which um, now is kind of like what we think of as being morphing, but obviously, you know, much more primitive. But you could make animations by... Uh, you know, drawing a stick person here and then moving over a little bit and drawing a shape and a stick person. And the program would fill in the frames in between so you didn't have to draw, you know, every frame of an animation. And so it would, uh, you know, come up with some really neat things that you could play with. Uh, Oh, and I I can't forget um, uh, Newsroom and Print Shop. Those were also big programs on the Apple uh, Print Shop. I know I've I've talked um, in my book and other places um, about you know printing signs and, and greeting cards and um, printing banners for kids at school. I used to charge kids. Uh, I think it was I don't know ten cents a letter and maybe twenty five cents for little symbols. But I, I would print out um, these giant banners for kids and sell them. Uh, and then newsroom was another thing that I you know had just got into like making uh, you know newsletters and things. And then eventually we. Uh, uh, in school, like in seventh grade and eighth grade, I was on uh, the newspaper stuff, and we would do layout. We would lay out an entire newspaper using newsroom and print shop. So, those were skills that uh, that came back, you know. Now, as I said before, on the Apple, we also had a modem, and this is where I kind of cut my teeth on modem. My my first alias was Robbie Franklin which is a horrible alias. <laughs> um, but obviously it comes from my first name and, you know, having the Franklin computer. It was so bad that people would say, you know, hey, you know, you really shouldn't use your real name. And I'm like, no, 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 it's an alias. Um, but it was so terrible that people didn't know it was an alias. But um, uh, so I had started calling Apple BBSs. And my dad was also calling BBSs. And that's where he met a guy named Ron Mertz. And Ron Mertz was... Like the, you know, if you ever had that software hookup, like the guy that had everything. And that, I mean, this is kind of the guy that I became later on uh, for my friends in the Commodore world. But um, uh, for the Apple world, this was that guy for us. And Ron Mertz, um, you know, 
just had everything. We would go over to his house and just, uh, I remember my dad would take like boxes of blank discs and, and Ron was happy if he got one program from us that he didn't have. Uh, and he had a BBS and he had, you know, all these things, um, you know, like two computers set up and stuff. And uh, a lot of times I would actually, I remember he had, um, some role-playing, uh, hardback books like for D and D and some other stuff. So I would sit in the living room sometime and flip through these books while they copied programs. Um, but Ron Mertz was a huge source of software for us back in the day. And, um, eventually we quit seeing him because my dad moved on to IBM's and, um, one day Ron Mertz got rid of his Apple and bought an IBM and came over and, uh, um, literally copied software from us for hours and it was, you know, really good to be able to pay him back for all the programs that we had got from him. But, um, so, you know, I, I was, I have all these cool memories of the Apple. I, you know, played, uh, with the Apple at home and I played with it at school. Um, and then I started going over to my friends' houses, like the, the guys across the street, the Roarks and, um, my buddy Andy, uh, and they all had Commodore 64s, which, uh, if you've used both, I mean, Commodore graphics and sound were just so much better, uh, than the Apple IIs, you know, and around that time you would see Apple, uh, advertisements and magazines, you know, like, uh, you know, for a game like Ghostbusters or something. And then at the bottom, it would have a picture of the, of the graphics in the game and it would say Commodore 64 version shown because the Commodore version was just so much better. You know, Commodore would do 16 colors and, uh, Apple, you know, back then had four colors or, you know, a lot of Apple twos, like the two plus most people just had monochrome. So, um, uh, and then in seventh grade in 1985, that's when I met my friend Jeff and he also had a Commodore. So now I knew all these people with Commodores, you know, so that's basically, uh, you know, when I decided I, I had to get a Commodore and, um, my dad, um, had purchased, uh, a PC junior. So he had this PC junior and then he bought ended up upgrading and buying an XT. And then around this time is when my parents opened uh, their computer store. And so some of the computers that we owned went up to the computer store. Um, and some of them stayed at home. I know the Apple, I think went up to the store to kind of like demonstrate software and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, and then I, my dad eventually traded, uh, the Franklin ACE off for a Commodore SX 64, the portable, uh, luggable, if you will, Commodore, uh, 23 pounds. It's uh, hardly portable, but, um, uh, and I can't remember if we used that for the store or what we did with that. We actually had a, um, uh, laser 128 for a while, which was a Apple IIc compatible machine. But, uh, you know, after the, the store closed in 86 and we got rid of our Apple. I didn't use an Apple for uh, several years. In fact, I don't think I used an Apple again until 1991, uh, which was the year I graduated high school and enrolled uh, in college. And in 91, I, one of the college courses I enrolled in was journalism. And uh, the first, the, the year I enrolled, 
the journalism program was transitioning between the old style of doing layout and paste up, which involved um, you know typing up stories on a typewriter and, and cutting them out with a pair of scissors and gluing them where you wanted them to go with uh, glue sticks, uh, and doing their layout in a computer using PageMaker. And so um, after I'd been there for a semester, they opened up this computer lab and they had a couple of uh, Mac Pluses. And uh, so people would come in and type in their stories. And um, I, I ended up being the editor of the newspaper. So uh, I had to really learn PageMaker and learn the Mac Plus to be able to um, you know do the layout. Uh, the Mac Plus is the little, you know, all-in-one Macintosh computer. You've probably seen them. They have a, a nine-inch screen, uh, black and white only. Um, but, uh, you know, if you wanted to do desktop publishing back then, you had to have a Mac. And so that's what we learned. Um, they also had, uh, it was, that was the first computer I knew that, uh, or that I had that you could actually record sounds on. Uh, it had a little microphone jack in the back, and you could just plug in, you know, like a, a Radio Shack microphone or something. So um, we had a VCR in the room, and we would bring videotapes from home. Like, I remember bringing a videotape of uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and we would play it on the VCR and hold the microphone up to the TV and record these little sounds. You know, like now you would just think of them as, you know, wave sounds or whatever, but... Uh, and save those to a disc. We just thought it was so cool, you know, and and uh, uh, so amazing to be able to do that on a computer. Um, we even had a handheld scanner. Um, I don't know if you've ever used one, but they were horrible. <laughs> it was just a horrible technology that you could... Um, uh, it was a scanner that had wheels on the bottom, and you would roll it, you know, it was like a giant mouse... And you would roll it across things to scan in pictures, and the, and the quality was terrible. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know that we ever got anything scanned in that you could actually use in the newspaper. But, um, uh, yeah. Uh, so I used the Mac Plus for a couple of years, and then in 1993, I moved to a different college. And they actually had, um, like, color maps, like the pizza box-type uh, maps, you know, and... And they did. Uh, they were using PageMaker also, so I did that. And they also they had this. Um, their Macs were all networked together, and they had this network game called Spectre, which was um, it's kind of like Battlezone, where it's uh, vector graphics and you drive around these tanks, but it's networked and it would be like capture the flag. So uh, you know it was almost like a predecessor to Doom, to where we were all running around and shooting each other and trying to get the flag, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things that really, uh, I, I liked Apple, you know, and the Apple II, I mean, I have a lot of good memories about the Apple II, but around that time, uh, I started running into all these people, I mean, I call them Mac snobs, <laughs> and I don't mean that to say that everybody that uses a Mac is a Mac snob, you know, but these people that would just look down at you if you mentioned that you had a PC at home, or if you liked IBM or, or, you know, had a Commodore or anything else like that, you know. Um, and I remember uh, talking to this guy who had bought one. He was like a representative of Mac that went to our school, you know, and he kept trying to sell me, um, 
a Macintosh and it was like four thousand dollars, and I had just bought a put together a PC for like five or six hundred bucks. You know, I just I couldn't afford that. I couldn't afford four thousand dollars. And um, uh, of course, back then Macs had a uh, really bad reputation for being uh, really modular. You know, you couldn't really um, upgrade them. Uh, if you did, you voided your warranty, and you couldn't get parts off the shelf like you could on PCs, you know. That was another thing that um, in uh, 94 and 95, I worked at Best Buy, you know. And um, for a while, I worked in the software section, and we had 11 rows of software, and 10 of them were for PCs, and then one row was for Macs. So, you know, I, I had several people trying to get me to move over to, to Mac computers, but it was like, you know, I, I stayed with the PC because that's where the software was. And now that's not so much the case. I mean, you can um, either through virtual machines or, you know, just depending on what you want to do, there's software available for both. But, uh, but you know, that those are the things that kind of turned me away from Apple. And um, I really started avoiding Apple and Apple, you know, products uh, to the point where, you know, when iPods came out, Everybody said, you know, oh, you got to get an iPod. And I just did not want to be associated with that mindset. Uh, In fact, I was like, you know, I'll get an MP3 player that's any brand but an iPod. You know, I did not want an iPod brand. Um, In fact, I had an old Creative Labs uh, Nomad MP3 player, um, which was terrible compared to the iPod Touch, you know, or even the original iPod. But... um, uh, you know, it didn't have the same features. It, the screen wasn't as good. The interface was terrible. But, um, you know, I just didn't want to, uh, you know, own an Apple product. So instead, I suffered with a subpar product just so I wouldn't be associated, um, you know, with, with Apple, with owning Apple products. I did the same thing with uh, cell phones for a long time. Uh, when the iPhone came out, you know, I ended up getting a Palm Trio, and then I moved to the Samsung Blackjack, not because I wanted a Samsung Blackjack, but it's just because I didn't want to have an iPhone, you know, I didn't want to have what all these other people were, were doing, you know, and then um, uh, my friend Andy, Andy's kind of my litmus test for, um, when Andy owns technology, Andy is not a technology guy, um, he's a firefighter. And, um, so he's not, I mean, he has a, a laptop, of course, but, um, you know, he's not what I would call a computer person. And so when he owns technology before I do, that's when I know I've missed the boat. Uh, Andy called me one day and was telling me about MySpace, And I was like, why are you on MySpace and I'm not, you know? And so I got on there and, and so I'd kind of, you know, that's how I could tell that I've missed the boat on something when Andy does it before I do. Uh, and then when I and Andy ended up getting an iPhone, and when I saw it, I was like, "Oh man, what what have I been doing? Like I've been suffering with these other, um, you know, subpar pieces of hardware." Uh, and I was just really mostly amazed by the interface. Um, you know, you can say anything about the actual quality of the phone itself. I know that it's even here. In the Midwest, we have pretty good AT&T coverage, but but my phone drops calls all the time. Um, but just the interface and the slickness of the applications, and um, you know, I'm not a huge iTunes fan, but the way that they've set up their store, you know, it, it all just makes sense. And um, 
Uh, so even if you're not a fan of, you know, the company or, um, you know, things like that, you just, you have to give it to them for their interfaces. Uh, in fact, I, you know, I didn't even buy an iPhone for a while. I bought an iPod Touch. And then, um, you know, eventually figured out that the iPod Touch was essentially an iPhone, just that you couldn't make calls with it, you know. So once I got used to the iPod Touch, uh, I ended up buying a 3GS uh, in the fall of 2009. It's actually the phone I still have, so I'm planning on upgrading to the 4, uh, 4S. I'm just waiting for these battery issues to get um, uh, ironed out. Now, you know, along the way, I also bought a Kindle, and um, I tried it, and uh, I, I like the Kindle for reading ebooks, but um, I really wanted more functionality out of it, and I was, I was waiting for the next tablet to come along, uh, and, you know, when I saw the iPad, I was, you know, again, I thought it was overpriced, um, being an Apple product. And I didn't want to be tied to iTunes, but um, if you jailbreak it, you're not tied to iTunes. There are other ways to copy your music over and stuff. But, um, you know, I, I just kind of waited for anybody else to come out with a tablet that was comparable, and nobody did. I mean, not, um, you know, I got mine in the spring of uh, 2000, and when we're just now coming in the end of 2011, and we're starting to see um, uh, competitors step up, you know, but there hasn't really been a comparable tablet. Um, I don't think, uh, that compares, you know, so, um, I don't know, I, I feel like I'll, as far as computers go, I feel like I'll always be a PC guy, uh, at heart, that's just, um, where my roots are, and, and what I'm comfortable with, and, and that's what I support at work, too, you know, I do, um, Windows Server Administration, and, um, uh, we run Windows Desktops at work, so, it, you know, it's too hard for me to get away from that at this point, but, um, uh, you know, especially for their, their mobile devices. Uh, you know, they they really have the interface down, like I said. And, uh, yeah, so I think they've kind of won me over in that. So if, I don't know that I've gone a full circle as far as coming back to Apple. But, uh, but yeah, I, uh, that's pretty much my experience with, with uh, modern Apple hardware is mostly with their um, uh, mobile devices, iPod Touch. I have a iPod Touch. Uh, we own, my family owns three iPhones. We have three iPhones, two iPod Touches, uh, and one iPad, and possibly a second iPad this Christmas, who knows. But um, anyway, uh, the last couple things, I, I jotted down some notes here before I started um, about current Apple things. One is um, Kansas Fest, which just took place, but... Um, Search uh, Google for Kansas Fest, and it is a meeting of old Apple enthusiasts uh, that get together once a year. So Kansas Fest is a really cool thing that happens uh, on a yearly basis. And one of the things that was uh, released at or uh, shown at Kansas Fest, I should say, is um, uh, the latest version of the uh, CF for Apple II project, which is um, a compact flash reader for Apple II, and the newest version uh, is actually USB. And so it's a card that you can put in a vintage Apple, like Apple, uh, not, a, not a 2C, but anyone that took uh, you know internal cards, so the 2, 2 Plus, 2E, and uh, 2GS. And it has a USB interface, so you can download 
disk images uh, off the internet, put them on a USB stick, and then load them into the computer straight from USB. So I think that's really cool. I'm on the waiting list uh, for the next batch of those. So I don't own one yet, but uh, I'd like to get one of those in the near future. Uh, and then one other thing I wanted to mention was uh, virtualapple.org. So um, you don't really need an emulator. If you want to check out some of the programs I mentioned, go to virtualapple.org, and it is a online Apple emulator. So you can just go to that website and you know pick any disc that you want to insert, any of those games like Choplifter or... Uh, swashbuckler or aztec and it will load it up and you can play those games right there in your browser so and that's pretty awesome i i don't know that you know that debate has gone on forever i don't know that emulation will uh ever fully replace for me the actual physical hardware but um uh, you know the convenience if you're sitting at an airport or you know somewhere and you just want to check out some old apple games or whatever um virtualapple.org so Pretty cool stuff. I have a um, built-in desk in this room that I'm sitting in right now in the new house that is mostly bare right now. It has my PC on it. It has a, a monitor and a printer. But I have a large section of desk, about another six foot, that is empty. And so um, I think I'm going to set up my Commodore 64 and um, one of my, probably my... Uh, I actually, you know what, I should have mentioned this, uh, but um, I have, um, I don't have any Apple II Pluses, I don't think. I have several Apple IIEs, um, and I have a IIc, and, but I've also, uh, off of eBay, it's not, not the original one that we own, but I have picked up a Franklin Ace 1000. So, uh, I think... I'm going to use this other spare part of the desk here and hook up a the Franklin Ace 1000. I know that the Apple IIe is probably more familiar to people, you know, I mean, as far as uh, that classic Apple look. But, um, you know, the Franklin Ace is what I grew up with, so I think I'm going to hook that up. And um, uh, I believe that um, CF card for the Apple II, the USB card, um, will work in a Franklin Ace. It should be fully compatible. So uh, maybe I can get that up and running and, and uh, uh, you know, start playing some vintage games again. So anyway, uh, so that's pretty much my history with Apple. Um, grew up in the 80s playing Apple and um, uh, got away from it, but they've kind of got me back a little bit with their uh, uh, mobile products. So... So I think that's where we'll let um, Podcast 113 drop off. I know it's kind of a, uh, a short and sweet one, but uh, it's got the juices flowing again. Everything's working. The computer's hooked up. The mic's working. So, um, And I've got my little dedicated podcast space ready to go up here. So uh, hopefully the new podcast will be flowing. Um, like I said, I've got one on text adventures basically in the bag. Um, and, uh, you know, some other odds and ends, uh, I know that some of you guys have, uh, requested, uh, arcade themed podcasts. So there's going to be an arcade, one about arcade auctions. that's going to be coming up, uh, one of the next one or two podcasts. So, uh, if you have an idea for a podcast, email me at Rob O'Hara, that's R-O-B-O-H-A-R-A at Rob O'Hara.com. 
you can stop by the forum, which is the gas chamber at Rubblehead, or just the gas chamber dot uh, Or if you just go to rubblehead.com, you'll see a link on the right hand side for the gas chamber. Come to the forum, come sign up, and uh, uh, you know, let us know uh, what you think about the podcast. And if you have ideas for upcoming shows, requests, anything like that, uh, you can do it there. So, with that, I think we're going to let podcast 113 go. Thank you guys for hanging in there. I know it's been a long wait, but uh, I appreciate y'all sticking around. Uh, Be sure to add the uh, RSS feed to the podcast. There's a link to that uh, here. Or um, the podcast is available on iTunes. So you can get it there, however you get it. Thank you for getting it. I appreciate you guys. And um, stay tuned for episode 114 coming soon. Thanks again, you guys. And... This was You Don't Know Flat, episode 113.